0: Hey Empaths, Jamie Starr here. It's episode 14. Today we're talking about why we're depressed and anxious and how to heal in these crazy times. Love is a powerful source. source. In life you must stay the course. Because. No matter how hard it gets. it gets, we always gotta do our best. So believe in yourself, find the courage within. Transform from the inside out And let your healing begin Ooh, I'm an empath in love I'm an empath in love I said, who oh, we are empaths in love We are empaths in love Hey, if it's Friday, then that means it's time for a new episode of Empaths in Love. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm Jamie Starr. Did you know that I am a high priestess? You probably did because I did a whole episode on it. I'm also a mental health counselor, which is something, it's a hat I like to put on every once in a while. And I wanted to talk today about depression and anxiety and sort of how that comes about in us and what we can do to heal. In fact, I'm going to do. Three series on healing. Today we were talking about healing and experiencing the present as being healed. We'll do an episode on the past and how to get back there and change things and we'll talk about healing in the future because healing is time independent. I know we kind of throw around language about depression. We say oh my god that's so depressing when really we just mean sad. It's one of my pet peeves when people use uh, technical language in ways that it is not meant to be used or they use it colloquially. I am all about changing up the English language and playing, but I also I want technical words to mean technical things. And there is a clinical definition of depression. For example, an episode, de- Depression comes in episodes and typically it lasts more than six months and does not have a particular qualifying stressor. Uh, something like a, a death in the family or uh, the loss of a job or something like that, that there's a biochemical component to it. There's stuff going on in the brain which prevents you from being happy. And um, there's some other qualifiers, but it, it needs to last for a significant amount of time in order to be considered clinical depression. And I think some people, they experience it differently. There's mild, there's moderate, there's severe, some people can have um, even psychotic features uh, through severe depression. I know when I had postpartum depression, I was having psychotic features, which was like pretty creepy. <laughs> I thought it would be cool, but actually it was pretty creepy. So um, we we want to make sure that we're using the language appropriately. Now totally use it colloquially if you would like, uh, but you know, don't come in and tell your doctor you are depressed when, um, you're just having a bad day. Uh, depression is independent of moods, right? It's, it's a long lasting, pervasive feeling of hopelessness, despair. It may include, um, thoughts about harming yourself or of ending your life, but there's even, uh, passive thoughts around, like, maybe I'd be better off. If, maybe the world would be better off if I wasn't here. Or maybe there's only like one or two things keeping you going. Clinical depression is serious and it needs intervention. Just the same way that you go to the doctor when you're sick, you should go see a professional if you start having these kinds of feelings and they've been going on for a while and they feel a little bit out of control. So I want to talk about depression because an anxiety uh, because that's what often we experience in the moment that is a clue that something is wrong with us. Depression, um, we, t- we joke about it. Maybe it's not a joke. We th- talk about depression as being um, rooted in the past, that there's a h- hopelessness about the future because of things that happened in the past. Anxiety, on the other hand, is a worry about the future and that when the future gets here, it will not be safe for us, and so we're doing all kinds of things to try to give ourselves some semblance of safety. And the brain thinks of all of these ways that things could go wrong in order to try to come up with a plan. And when we have a plan, we feel more prepared. So, I want you to know that when you do that, your brain gets a little hit of dopamine, it actually feels good to worry about the future. Not very much, but a little bit. So if you are deprived of those brain chemicals, dopamine, serotonin, oxycod- oxytocin, and the other one, which I've forgotten, fancy, then your brain is looking for ways to make that up. So often your doctor or um, a psychiatrist may prescribe you medication, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, um, MAOIs, something like that, that are antidepressants. Now, there's also a lot of natural ways that we can get uh, those kinds of chemicals. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about those clues, right? Depression and anxiety are clues that what is happening in the moment is not okay, that we are not in integrity with some deeper part of ourselves. I've been listening to, um, I don't read anymore much because I have a baby, so (laughs) Um, I do a lot of books on tape, so I've been listening to a book called Soulcraft by Bill Plotkin, and it's blowing my mind in that it's making um, a Jungian psychology more practical, but also really understandable for um, everyday people, and he really makes it, uh, he, he, puts in like exercises and things like that so one of the things that he talks about is this sort of soul's calling calling us on a deeper adventure and how we have this desire to grow when we are children we grow automatically that um, we go through phases really fast when we're adults we with that growth process slows down um, and we we have experienced change slower But also, we need our consciousness in it. So, how do we get depressed and anxious? It's all about our current mental programming, the thoughts and feelings and beliefs deep in our brain. And I'm going to talk about how that goes. So, the core of our identity is our soul. And we, are come, we come into the world with that. We come into the world with a soul. When you do soul work, sometimes people go to the womb, um, to childhood where they shouldn't have memories, uh, to spaces in between lives. Where your soul is present but the mind is not. And so I've seen it a lot and have experienced it myself in my own work and it, it's pretty consistent. It's really remarkably consistent even among uh, people with diverse backgrounds and diverse religious beliefs and experiences. Um, even atheists can have these uh, in-between life or even past life experiences. So it's part of our soul's uh, movement. And so the, the soul comes in... Um, And I think the soul is also called the higher self. And in hypnotherapy, sometimes we call it the wise adult. It's that part of you that always knows what to do, that understands your purpose in a cosmic sense and uh, is here for the ride of being a human being. Uh, Carolyn Miss talks about the soul contract and how we're all here with something to do. And we all have soul contracts between other people in our lives. And so we come into the world to fulfill these contracts, but they can also be modified. The problem is when you incarnate into a body, you are given this brain, which is made of matter, and matter does not work the same as spirit. A body does not work the same as spirit. Things move really slowly here. Things that are instantaneous in the quantum spiritual world, uh, take a long time to manifest in our bodies and in the world. Um, I ha- I don't very often, I do sometimes, but I d- I d- my specialty is not working with people who have chronic illness because those patterns have almost solidified in their body. They're very material. It's much easier to change a thought or a belief than it is to change your body and you can it just takes a really long time we're talking about the present today so our current sense of self interacts with the people in our world the situations that happen to us the context of things that there may be an there may be an explicit context but there also may be an implicit context in which there are rules or Things to consider that are not overtly stated, that have to be implied or read into. And then there's your own personality, your own sort of soul pattern, and who you are as a human being that can interact with it. That's why if you have like two siblings that grew up in the same household, and essentially you would think that they experience the same things, but actually they um, process them very differently because their personalities are different and they come to different um, beliefs and thoughts about that. So your personality starts collecting these and they start getting in the way. So we pattern them in the form of beliefs. There's the soul and then it's layered with beliefs about the the soul or beliefs about the person. Um, And then, so after the belief, beliefs create thoughts all thoughts are patterned on beliefs about the self. Beliefs are core and fundamental to who we are. Thoughts are more freeform. They're a little looser. They may be in our own voice. They may be in voices of other people that ha- are dear to us or important to us, uh, parents, family members, just significant people. We may also get thoughts from our culture that come in unconsciously. Thoughts create feelings, feelings are emotions. We got that. Um, emotions. I break them down into the core emotions, anger, sadness, uh, fear, jealousy, hurt. There's also shame and guilt. Um, and there's happiness of course, and joy. There are other feelings. Typically when I work with people, we're undoing negative feelings. So I just focus on, um, the first couple. And so those feelings are actually created by thoughts, right? Feelings create behavior. Now, you think that you are ruled by your rational, conscious mind and the things that you think, but most often, most people are ruled by their feelings. And as empaths especially, we're very ruled by our feelings. I'm a cancer, personally, so my feelings are right there or they're deeply hidden in the depths <laughs> and I can't access them very well. I need a little time to access them. So... Um, We experience feelings differently based on our sort of makeup. Feelings create behaviors or choices. They're actions, right? Um, We do things based on that. We make purchasing decisions. We engage in relationships. We um, decide how to take care of ourselves and how to move forward based on these behaviors. A lot of behaviors create a pattern, and patterns create your life. So it's a very simple chain of events. Um, if somebody is a programmer, maybe you can comment on um, the, the way that they build off of each other and interact with each other. So I, let me give you an example. I used to believe, well, let me start with this. Beliefs can be good or bad. Actually, they're pretty neutral, but we can use them in a good or a bad way. And the um, belief by itself doesn't indicate the rest of it, right? There's a lot of variations in people. So I used to have this belief that love conquers all. That love was the most important thing that I would do anything for love. That was my belief. Um, it, that was a generalized belief. And it came from this even deeper belief that... Um, I'm not inherently worthy of love, that love has to be earned somehow, or that there's a scarceness of love. So I believe that love conquers all. So I would have thoughts around, uh, always wanting to be partnered. I wish I was with somebody. Um, how can I meet somebody? Um, which would create feelings and behaviors, which you can imagine. Let me give you, uh, so those interact with the, um, Uh, the situation and the people and there's context to it. So I was with my uh, second husband and leaving school and looking for a place to be. And he's like, why don't you move in with me? Now what you have to understand is that the house that he lived in was built in the 1930s, pretty much hadn't been updated since then. um, And they hadn't had garbage service in probably a year, maybe longer. So the house was filled with garbage. And so my thought, my belief, love conquers all. And I thought, well, if we can get through this, we can get through anything. That I love him so much that I want to be with him even in a house full of garbage, even in a house that's falling down, even in a house that the county says is uninhabitable. I will totally live here because I love him and I want to be together and love conquers all. I did not have thoughts around... (laughs) If this is wise or healthy or if I had other options none of those thoughts entered me but those thoughts of like you know we're going to be together it actually made me feel really good and so I was feeling in love I was getting that oxytocin hit the serotonin was flowing fine and freely and I moved myself in and um those feelings of, like, I'm feeling so good, I the thoughts, like, I could be really helpful here, there's a lot to do, I love to be helpful, I love serving my partner. So as behavior, I started cleaning up the house. And the first thing I did was order garbage service and solemnly swear that I would earn the, whatever, $35 a month to make sure that there was always garbage service at the house. And that created a pattern of cleaning up after, of taking care, of not my health and well-being not being in the equation at all. And that had been my pattern in other areas of my life. Now when you look at that and you you would think if it was a different situation, if it was a different person, if I was a different person, that that belief might actually be healthy. Love conquers all. If um, it hadn't been a filthy house if it had been a beautiful house Uh, if it was a house in the country if it was you know if there was a different offer on the table I could have said love conquers all and had the thought I'm not going to live here (laughs) I could make the new belief I would do anything for love but I won't do that that would have been okay that would have got me to a different conclusion and ultimately we ended up uh, moving away and they uh, tore down the house so I can never go back there. <laughs> and even in my thinking, now that I've changed so much, like I, I can never go back there. This belief, love conquers all, is no longer a core belief that I hold because I don't feel that love is in scarcity. So love is everywhere. It doesn't need to conquer. I am love. If I believe I am love, then my thoughts are more loving and compassionate towards other people. How would a person that's loving respond to that situation oh I see that you're choosing to live here I don't have to live here I'm gonna move home with my parents which would have been a totally viable alternative (laughs) and created different feelings and different behaviors patterns different life it would have been a different choice and it it would have stemmed from a different belief in a different context so just because the belief sounds positive doesn't mean that it is Um, that it really could have been shifted So that's why when we do this work, we're looking for negative beliefs that should be changed. So the belief that there's not enough love or I have to fight for love, and the opposite belief, love conquers all, is actually ended up not being a healthy belief for me. So that's an example. So there's there's errors that we think, that we encounter when, We're talking about changing the moment, right? How can I make my present better? All the time, in all kinds of situations, uh, people talk about will. All you have to do is try. You need to make some good habits. Um, You need to make positive affirmations so that you can move forward. I think will is powerful, I'm hoping to have a guest on soon that can talk to us more about the power of will. Um, what's his name? He's a writer. Rollo May, existentialist, wrote a book uh, called Love and Will, and it is about those two dichotomies that maybe uh, it's not love and war, maybe it's love and, and will. Uh, that's a beautiful book, if you can find it, by Rollo May. So this idea that will, that we can sort of So what is will exactly like on this um, spectrum? Will is not a belief. Will is a thought. I will do this. I want to do this. This is my desire. And so you have thoughts around the thing that you want. I want love. I want freedom. I don't want to be ashamed. I want a nice car. I want... These are all thoughts. And these thoughts create feelings. But they are sourced in belief. This is one of the reasons why I hardly ever practice CBT anymore, cognitive behavioral therapy, because the will and the thoughts and those positive affirmations don't actually address the belief. And, and so they don't work, right? I mean, how many times have you tried to change a habit about yourself or your life Uh, only to go back to it a little bit later or the moment that it is challenged, you go back to your old behavior. I think about, I do food, right? I struggle with that. Um, and, and, um, sugar in particular, really like in this moment, there is a Nanaimo bar at the end of my desk taunting me. (laughs) And I had told myself that, um, I would not eat it until I finished the podcast. So I'm like denying myself the pleasure. Um, I'm using my will to delay my gratification in the hopes that um, maybe I'll forget about it, but I'm never gonna forget about it. It's gonna be amazing. Never. (laughs) Can't wait to eat it. Anyway, so no matter how many times I yell at myself, torture myself, um, (laughs) do fasts, to break sugar I always go back to it because underneath my craving for sugar is a uh desire thoughts about wanting something um sweet wanting to do something fun uh and that um this is something that I need and nobody can take that away from me this idea that um I I want to experience pleasure uh And so it's that same belief, right? It's actually a belief underneath that, that pleasure is scarce, that there's not enough of it, um, that I have to go out and have extreme forms of pleasure. I can't have small ones. I have to have a lot because there is not enough for me or I am not worthy of uh, normal pleasure. So I have to have like extra pleasure. I mean, sugar gives you like this crazy rush, right? I need to feel it right now because I don't like how I'm feeling. I want to change how I feel and food is medicine and it does that for us and so using my will and making thoughts okay i'm going to have this later doesn't change the belief cbt doesn't change the belief it only changes the thoughts and the thoughts can change or have an effect on the feeling right so i can have some i can still have compassion for myself for like wanting the denial now I have compassion for you for like maybe you're salivating for the Nanaimo bar I don't know um it's peanut butter and chocolate and it's it's gluten-free and they make it at this little bakery that's just up the road and I walked over there and that was very pleasant anyway so (laughs) (laughs) that created behavior which create patterns which create the weight that I'm experiencing and the weight that I'm carrying myself okay I can feel myself getting on track so let's get it back together get it together Jamie Okay, so the other error that people have about managing their depression and anxiety in the present moment is that they can do it by myself. I can do it by myself. But the truth is, we do not live in a vacuum. We've already talked about how different people and situations and contexts can change how we experience a moment and then which beliefs are activated, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, et We are social creatures, We require feedback. And part of it is that we only have a certain um, perspective and we need someone who can see the back of our head and and tell us what we're doing. And we get feedback in lots of ways. We get it biochemically. uh, In mirror neurons, we can experience what someone else is feeling. We get that hit of happy, feel-good chemicals when we do something that satisfies that. We also get social feedback. So likes, whether it's likes on social media or um, somebody smiling at you, we're, we're that sensitive. We, as social creatures, like are terrified of being shunned. And I think you can probably figure out for yourself a time where you, I would do anything to not be rejected by this person or this group or this family. And then sacrificing parts of yourself so that you can stay in the group but we require feedback beliefs also have the capacity to require evidence right we have sort of uh it's called cognitive bias it's where our belief actually creates almost a lens where we receive feedback as evidence as proof that our belief is correct so my belief that love conquers all well we were together a long time we got married isn't that what love is so living in the dirt house was a good choice because it allowed us to be together and so I had this feedback loop that like this is what um, this is what love is for me even though it was not a healthy love and being in society and having somebody give us honest to goodness feedback is awesome and you know, it doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be a friend, uh, a mentor, a life coach. Um, we receive feedback in um, like film and TV, right? Or comics, any sort of media like that, because we can see what happens. This is why myth is so important. We get to project ourselves into it. And like in the situation, this is the feedback. There is a reason that Gilgamesh, when he um, is a rampaging bastard, Is not accepted by the community and they send some they send Enkidu him in to go tame him because socially the feedback is like your behavior your narcissism is not okay and the other belief that we often experience is I'll grow out of it right I won't feel this way forever Um, it'll change by itself And we already talked a little bit about in childhood, we do grow naturally, and we go in phases and steps, and it it does seem to happen without our awareness. But as an adult, not only are we, we're no longer growing in our bodies exactly, we're now aging, but our consciousness requires attention. If you're going to grow, you need intention in order to um, be mindful of those parts of you that are not working for you. And we do that by going into the past and also attuning to the present. You know, it takes a lot of work. And in the moment, you are missing out on things. You're missing opportunities. Your cognitive bias is totally in the way and keeping you from seeing the amazing opportunities for love, for abundance, for passion, for creativity, all those things that you desire, you're missing it because your beliefs are clouding your vision and they're getting in your way and of course we believe that our vision of the world is true but it's in community that we see that in fact maybe that is not the case (laughs) that maybe there are other forms of love which do not involve self-sacrifice right it does take work and you can use affirmations all you want but I don't know about you but to me it always felt like beating my head against a wall and and it is because you're trying to insert new thoughts without addressing the belief underneath it and so it takes a lot of thoughts to create enough evidence in order to change that belief It you think your your brain is like changing your eyes And they're like, that's not possible. But when you change the belief, essentially you are changing your eyes and you're changing your lenses. Is that a gross metaphor? Are we close to Halloween yet? Anyway, eyeballs. It does take work. And there are ways to accelerate that work. And that's what I want to talk to you about a little bit more. And we'll talk about it more in the upcoming episodes. But you can address things in the moment But you need more tools besides positive affirmation and besides beating yourself up about it because it ain't working, is it? (laughs) I would do anything to not feel shame. So why would I shame myself? Like whose voice is that? I don't want them like occupying space in my head. It's when you're depressed and anxious, it's easy to feel like this will go on forever and that changing it is just too much effort. And so I work with clients to find little things they can do to start getting those dopamine hits, that serotonin in a healthy way. Obviously, eating this Nanaimo bar, quick fix, not going to solve the problem (laughs) of not getting enough sleep last night Um, or feeling bored or feeling depressed. It's just not going to solve that deeper problem because the deeper problem has to do with belief and about meaning and being connected with your soul. And when those things happen, then... You don't need it as much, right? But it does take a while to change the material world. And just praying in a way, it's going to take a long time. It just takes too long. And one of the things that I love about being a therapist is I love going there with people, exploring those beliefs in hypnotherapy, of changing those thoughts, of reflecting behavior and inquiring into feelings and how they came to be and helping people see the patterns and how it makes up their life. That's exciting to me, but the therapist is only one person. There's something really powerful about being in a group of conscious people who are all doing the same work, where there's a level of vulnerability, and where even your teachers are sort of transparent about the process. And I've just completed a uh, training on doing that. I experienced personal transformation um, over two years in an internship. Cost me pff, close to seven or eight grand now that I think about it between the travel uh, and the meals and, and staying there. And it's so profoundly changed my life addressing the roots of shame, addressing at least I have tools to address things like the way that I eat and my, my beliefs around love and I'm working on my prosperity right now and the feelings of abundance and, and getting my work out there in the world. And I finally, after, how old am I? 36, after 36 years, have identified my soul's purpose and I'm working every day on manifesting it, on, on making it real in the world. And it gives me such a sense of profound meaning and knowing that I don't have to, like, search for it anymore. And I did this through this conscious community. So I learned how to basically do the training that I just did, only it's in a much shorter format. And I, I did it for two years. This one's only a five month commitment with the same group. We meet one weekend, uh, per month in retreat in Cedro Woolley, which if you're not from the Pacific Northwest is this really lovely, um, mountainous and farming region, uh, Cedar Woolley sort of flows into um, Mount Vernon and Burlington, which is famous for their tulips, which is really lovely. So we've secured a, um, uh, the five weekends at a retreat space there. Uh, there is a sweat lodge there, which I'm super excited about, um, and a, an altar in the room. And we've really created a, a, a sacred place to come and do your work. And we have the tools to facilitate that. There's something around making a commitment. And when you make a commitment, the universe conspires to be present with you. The universe conspires to make it happen for you. And that commitment has to happen in your heart. And the beliefs and thoughts and feelings, they do start to line up. You need more than a behavior change. But you need a place to practice. And you need a community to work with. And you need a place to... A laboratory where you can learn new things, try new behaviors, and then take them out into the world and then come back and receive feedback on them. Like a good scientist for you to discover what is true for you at the deepest, most profound level. And I'm getting off track again because it's really easy to talk about something that you're passionate about that changed your life. And that's why I'm teaching these. So we're getting a group together uh, starting in October, which I realize is not a lot of time. So that's why I'm doing these three. um, I'll I'll put them out pretty quickly so that we can talk about healing and you can see if PTI is is right for you. We're also putting together some local experiences. Um, One of the techniques we use is called breath work, um, which releases, uh, blocked emotions, um, memories trapped in your body, feelings we don't know what to do with, and it's sort of like clearing your RAM database. <laughs> Is that a thing? It's sort of like, um, I don't know, good computer metaphor, brain leaving, need Nanaimo bar, can't talk. Um, so people have profound emotional experiences, experiences of relief and letting go, but also, uh, profound spiritual experiences where you can touch the infinite, I remember one particular session of breathwork where um, I felt like my hands, all the power in the world was contained in my hands and I could send it to anybody that I wanted to. And so I sent it to all these people that I loved and then I watched them use that love and that energy for good. And it, it felt so good to be a part of that and to see the manifestation of my power in a way that I could viscerally feel in my body. And breathwork is a tool that opens a doorway to allow that. So we're doing a couple of uh, breathwork sessions. Uh, You can go to our Facebook group, which is at YesPTI, and come check it out, and it'll tell you all about that. In the meantime, healing in the present requires more than your will. (laughs) Stop berating yourself. Be excellent to one another, and... See if you're willing to actually do the work. Are you? I said, oh, we are in paths in love. We are in paths in love. What would it be like to experience freedom from shame, loneliness, anger, sadness, and jealousy? What would it be like to experience a rapid increase in awareness acceptance and understanding of yourself and others to live your authentic self by releasing unconscious denial and ambivalence self-defeating beliefs and patterns to master communication skills attract fulfilling relationships what would it be like my partner lisa flowers and i are offering the personal transformation intensive it's a five-month commitment, one weekend a month, where you get to go on retreat with your spiritual community, a small group, to experience the power of community and healing with meditation and other psychotechnologies guaranteed to heal. It absolutely changed my life. Go to bit.ly yespti. I'll see you there.